0: Father, we give you thanks that you teach us in your word, that you instruct us, that you guide us, that you give us a way to true life. So we ask that you would open our eyes this morning to see wonderful things in this portion of your scriptures in Psalm 119. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the last few weeks, we've been in a series working through different sections of Psalm 119. And we've been discussing different aspects of God's Word, how it functions in our lives, and how we're to respond to it. Last week, we heard about delight and meditation on God's Word. And this week, we have the joy of discussing obedience, obedience to God's Word. And this, this may not be joyful for you. Some of us bristle at the idea of obedience or a call to obedience. It comes with a lot of baggage, both theological and personal. We're afraid that sermons on obedience will devolve into meritorious obligations. And then some have been abused by the church under the veil of submission and obedience to God's command and to authority, but we generally don't like rules and the call to obedience because we feel like they're restrictive. Now, Cassie and I have finally taught Jack to stop at stop signs. You know, that's a feat, that is an endeavor in our house is to make our children stop at stop signs. Maddie Grace was much easier. She was a little more compliant than our second child and Jack not quite as compliant. You see, when our family goes on family walks around the neighborhood, Cassie and I will walk the dog and push the stroller and the kids are riding their scooters or they're riding their bikes around. And when they get to the end of a street, there's that big red sign and what are they supposed to do? Stop, you're supposed to respond. He's supposed to stop. Now his sister stops, but Jack has struggled with this concept. I'm sure he probably thought to himself, but daddy, I'm having so much fun riding my scooter. Why would you tell me to stop having so much fun? So I've had to stop and I've had to get down on his level and try to help my two-year-old understand that this sign, it means stop because there might be cars coming and you would get hurt if you got hit by one. This rule is put in place for his benefit and when he obeys it, he lives. But this concept took a while to set in for him. There were a number of occasions when we'd be walking around the neighborhood and I could see just by the stride in his kick on his scooter, like the boy was kicking like he had one life and it was about to end today. And, and I could tell that he was just gonna blow through that stop sign. And when there's a car coming, there's like a deep guttural thing that happens in a father and deep down in the diaphragm. And like this visceral dad voice came out and I screamed, Jack, stop. Now I won't scream the dad voice because I'll scare all the children in here. I did scare all the children in the neighborhood. Now he obeyed, he stopped. But what was his response? Was his response one of gratitude? Thank you, Daddy, for saving my life. No. He was probably scared because Daddy just yelled at him. But he got off of his scooter and he began to stomp and scream and cry. I was restricting the fun that he was having on his scooter by commanding him to stop. And y'all, we feel the same way when someone calls us to obedience, as if we're being stripped of our fun as if we're being stripped of our freedom. And this is especially true for Americans. When someone tells us what to do and puts limitations on us, we immediately go to you're stripping away my freedoms. That's our immediate visceral reaction. But that's not the way life with God works. In the economy of God, in the family of God, obedience to God's commands is where life is realized. God speaks authoritatively into our lives, not so that he can limit us, not so that he can limit our fun or our freedom, but so that he can show us the way to abundant life in Christ. And so this morning we're gonna look at three different aspects of obedience. We're gonna look at the foundation of our obedience. We're going to look at the extent of our obedience and we're going to look at the outcome of our obedience. So where does obedience begin? Does it begin with you looking down deep inside yourself and mustering up the desire to obey and then living out that desire or does it begin somewhere else? Now the Christian answer, the Christian understanding has always been that obedience is our response to God. The foundation, the starting point of our obedience is God's work to enlarge our hearts. Look at verse 17 and 32. The psalmist says, deal bountifully with your servant. Another way to say that is to just say, do good to your servant. For what purpose? That I may live. And that I may keep your word. That I might have life and that I might obey. Do good, please. And then it concludes this section in verse 32. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. When you change me. I will run in the way of your commandments. This has always been the way God deals with his people as he saves them and then calls them to obedience. Before he gave Israel the 10 commandments, the Lord said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is what I've done for you to save you, to redeem you. You shall have no other gods before me. Obedience begins with and it rests in God's activity to save. And as Christians, we recognize that salvation is accomplished by the Son, Jesus Christ, and that it's applied to us by the Spirit. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice, not simply to free us from the guilt of sin. He certainly did that. But also to free us from the power of sin. After reflecting on the death of Jesus, Paul states in Romans 6, For sin will have no dominion over you. Having been set free from sin, we've become slaves to righteousness. And just a few chapters later in Romans 8, he reflects on the work of the Spirit, stating, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. It's through the work of the Son, and it's through the application of that work through the Spirit, that God frees you to obey his commands. He's given you freedom to obey. And that's the foundation. That's the starting point of our obedience. God removes our hearts of stone. And he gives to us hearts of flesh. And friends, that's why no Christian can ever say, this is who I am. I just can't change. I can't change. This is who I am. You take what you get. Now, you may have your besetting sins. You may have that sin that you can't seem to get rid of. They maybe it's made your life difficult, maybe it's made your marriage a shell of what you'd hoped for, or maybe it's cut divisions in your family. But none of us can say, this is who I am. I can't change. Whatever your besetting sin is, cynicism, anger, malice, greed, envy, your temptation may be to throw up your hands, to give up, and to say, I can't change. But Jesus looks at you in that moment and in his kindness, he says to you, don't you dare say that. Don't you dare say you can't change because you can with my help. You can change with my help. Because I've already freed you from sin's power. Not just sin's guilt, but the power and the dominion of sin you've been freed from. And friends, we just need to appropriate what is already ours. What God has already done for us in Jesus. And so the foundation of our obedience is God's work to enlarge our hearts. That then begs the question, how far must we obey What's the extent of our obedience? And the psalmist indicates that our whole lives are to be lived in obedience to God. Not just our religious life on Sunday morning, but our lives Sunday afternoon. Your life Monday morning when you wake up and go to work. Your life Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. All week, 24-7, our whole lives are to be lived in faithfulness to God and obedience to him. One way of describing this is to use the language of head, heart, and hands. That's to say that we obey God with our thoughts, that we obey God with our desires, and that we obey God with our uh, with our actions. And we see this in the passage when the psalmist asks God in verse 18, to open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your law. And he's not asking God to open his physical eyes. He's asking God to open the eyes of his mind and open the eyes of his heart, that he can receive God's law and that he may become obedient to it. And he says in verses 26 and 27, When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me to understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Now, there's an intellectual aspect to our obedience, What is it that you give your thoughts to? What is it that you spend your time contemplating? But there's also, uh, obedience doesn't just stop with our mind. It extends and encompasses our desires. The psalmist states in verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all time. It's consumed with desire for your rules. Your testimonies, in verse 24, are my delight. They are my counselor. We get a picture of the law of God as being a delightful guide for the soul in what it means to live in obedience to God. And we heard last week that delight is the ruminations of the heart, what we spend our time enjoying, what we spend our time in satisfaction on. What you contemplate when you wake up and what you ponder when you fall asleep might indicate what you you delight in, what it is that you desire. And the call to obedience extends to the deepest levels of our desires. And it's not just that you contemplate and delight in the Bible and the words of the Bible. That's certainly delight par excellence. But you also spend time thinking about God's works and God's ways, particularly God's works of creation and God's way of redemption. Psalm 8 meditates on God's creation, ruminating over what God has done in creation. When I look at the heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you would care for him, And then Psalm 107 is 43 verses of meditation on how God has redeemed his people from trouble. What he's done to save. And so we spend time ruminating on the works, the ways, and the words of God. And then necessarily our actions will fall in line. Look at verses 30 through 32. I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. That word cling is the same word that Genesis 2 uses to to describe a man leaving his father and mother and cleaving to his wife in faithfulness. I cleave to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. When our minds are thinking properly and our, our hearts are, are loving properly, our actions, friends, will inevitably fall in line with those properly ordered thoughts and affections. And so the call to obedience extends to the farthest recesses of our thoughts, our desires, and our actions, founded in God's work to enlarge our hearts. So what's the outcome? What's the outcome of our obedience when we live life this way in wholehearted, heartfelt obedience to God? Well, the outcome is the restoration of our humanity. When we look at Psalm 119, we see language of restoration. We see language of wholeness, things being made new, the old being taken away, and the new being given. He says in verse 22, take away from me scorn and contempt, for I've kept your testimonies. You see here, he's asking God to remove his shame and the disgrace that others have placed on him. He's asking God to take those away from him. And he's able to to, to make that request because he's been obedient to God, for I have kept your testimonies. He also says, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. It's in obedience to God's commands that we find life when our souls are in distress and when we cling to the dust. He says in verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. When our our souls are thrust into sorrow and anguish, the way to strength, the way to strengthening is according to God's word. It's not according to culture. It's not according to family. It's by living in obedience to God's word that we find strength and vitality. And then lastly, in verse 29, he says, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. He asks God to remove any hint of deception, any hint of duplicity, and to put all of that far from him so that he can live in the truth of God's word. And he asks him to teach him to fill him with the truth of his law. You know, this is the language of healing and restoration. It's casting off the old way of life, and it's receiving a new way of living from God. It's God making all things new through his son, Jesus. It's a gracious and loving father telling you, stop. Don't go that way. You will find only death when you walk down that road. And he says to you instead, go this way. I promise you will find life You will find it abundantly, and you will discover the restoration of your humanity. N.T. Wright wrote something like this in his book, Surprised by Hope. He said that when human beings give their heartfelt allegiance to and worship that which is not God, they progressively cease to reflect the image of God. And friends, the adverse is true. That when human beings give their heartfelt allegiance and their worship to God, we progressively grow to reflect the image of God that's been stained because of sin. We discover the restoration of our humanity when we live in obedience to God's commands. So we trust God, we obey him with our whole life and we discover restoration we discover what it means to live as truly human. I'll close with this. I've been watching the show alone on the History Channel. If you haven't watched it, the premise of the show is that they take 10 contestants and they take them out into the wilderness to see who can last the longest by themselves, totally by themselves. They even have like a 40-pound case of all the camera equipment that they have to carry around by themselves. Their only friend is a camera. And the winner receives $500,000. and In season three, they're taken to Patagonia in southern Argentina, and there's one contestant named David. David Lasts, not David Ristow, but another contestant named David. He lasts 73 days, and he collects weeks worth of food by this day 73. And he was one of only four contestants left. He's made it 73 days. It's a profound feat. But during his last medical evaluation on day 73, he tells the doctors and the producers, when I'm at home, I feel like there's something missing. But when I'm out here, I feel like I'm living." We find that in the doctor's evaluation, there is a profound misunderstanding and problem with this sentiment. He feels like he's living, but in reality, he's dying. His blood pressure had dropped to 80 over 60. For those medical professionals in the room, you know that's really bad. He was starving to death, and he was coming dangerously close to acute organ failure. The man was dying. He was killing himself, living this way. And you know, this version of living was actually dying. He may have felt like he was alive, but he was killing himself, living this way. And y'all, that's what God seeks to keep us from when he gives us boundaries, when he gives us his commands and he calls us to obedience. He's saying, don't go down that road. It leads only to death. He's a gracious father telling his children to stop going in the road because it might kill them. He gives us the opportunity to truly live the abundant life in Jesus by obeying his commands. And so, friends, we rest. We rest in the foundation of our obedience, being the work of God, not our work, not mustering up something in ourselves, but resting in God's work to redeem us in Jesus and to apply that redemption by his spirit. And we recognize that the call of obedience extends to our whole lives to our thoughts, our desires, and our actions. And through obedience, we discover that the outcome is the restoration of our humanity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are in the business of restoration, that you are working through your Son and your Spirit to reconcile all things to yourself. And we ask this morning that you would continue to do that for us. Strengthen us to obedience. Help us to apply and to appropriate what is already ours in Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.